Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. Today, we've taken a different approach. Over the last couple of weeks in episodes, we've talked about how to buy a home, how to set yourself up for success. Today, we're going to be talking to a real estate expert in the Phoenix metro area, and we're going to be talking to John Angelo to figure out what's actually happening in that market. You know, from the media, we hear that home prices are appreciating, but at the same time, recently we're hearing the market is cooling, buyer demand is slowing. So what does that actually mean for one of the hottest markets that we've seen over the last couple of years? John, welcome to the show. Jeb, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. No, absolutely. We appreciate you, man. So Josh, we we often talk um, on, on the live that we do and, and in conversation, you know, Phoenix gets kind of pointed out, um, you know, they're put on the naughty list, if you will, because home prices have appreciated there so much over the last year, year and a half. Um, and we're going to talk about why here in just a minute, but you know, what do you want to get out of this for, for the buyer out there, Josh, what do you think, you know, what are we trying to deliver for those out there listening? Well, for, if you're listening right now, you're listening to the podcast. We've done the live for over a year now, and we've then now been transitioning the live to the podcast. So hopefully you're hearing both. But what we get a lot of is, hey, you and Jeb are in Southern California. So this is Southern California centric. And there's absolutely truth to that. We do watch the nationwide market. Um, we have friends operating in other markets and we have those conversations, but there's no way to be an expert in markets outside of our home market. For me, we lend throughout California for you, um, selling mainly in Southern California, but again, watching all, all of California, all of the coastal stuff. So what we want to do with bringing local experts, regional experts on like John is to get the answers that people want. A lot of people are in Phoenix, thinking of relocating to Phoenix, um, Arizona in general. So what we want is to get honest, accurate, boots on the ground answers. So for me, that's what I hope we're able to bring to the listeners today. Awesome. So John, you know, at the end, we'll, you know, kind of get into your background and all of that. But I just want to talk about now, like what have you seen over the last two years? Not not what's happening directly at the moment, because we'll talk about the slowing, the cooling, if you will. But what have you seen in Phoenix market you know, in the metro, right? Because I know you don't work just Phoenix, kind of the the, mm -hmm. the whole metro area there. What have you seen over the last couple of years? Well, pretty much what's what's been indicative of the the rest of the country, where you know you had a, a ten to twelve year period here specifically, where builders just didn't build much. Um, we were trying to absorb a bunch of excess inventory, literally from two thousand four, five, and six, if you can imagine that. Um, that all kind of came to a, a, a head. Um, it, our market was beginning to shift before the pandemic. So it wasn't like, holy cow, the pandemic happened. Then all of a sudden Phoenix got really hot or the rest of the market got markets got hot. We were already bo boiling right before the pandemic, just because 
there was just such a lack of inventory for people to buy. We hadn't built in so, so long. And the growth here has just been, been very, very strong. And so, you know, the last two years have just been a byproduct of, you know, not as much supply and uh, probably a little more than normal demand because of the amount of people that are moving here. Obviously, you put those two things uh, in, in a pot and they, they, they're, they're fairly combustive, right? That's why we've had this price growth and, uh, uh, you know, some of the stuff that, that Josh had said about, you know, Phoenix had have led the list on and off a couple of the top spots on, on a couple of these case shiller indexes and things like that over the past three years. Um, and it's just been a combination of all these things kind of swirling around. And then we just had a combustible market. Got it. So what I, what I hear there is the market was hot prior to that. And, and we had it here in Southern California as well, right? Sure. I mean, we started 2020 and it was a hot market. It was poised to be one of the better years for real estate. And then there was a, a two month span where, hell, I don't think both of us probably didn't know if we were going to have jobs or not just because yeah. of, of the direction things went. And then all of a sudden gangbusters and, and, you know, the market went bananas. And so with that, you know, on average, John, I would say prior to the pandemic, I would have three, you know, I sell on average as an individual individual agent, about 30, 35 homes a year. So on average, I would have about three, maybe four people on average move out of, out of state. And sometimes they would go to Phoenix. Sometimes they would go to different markets, maybe Texas or what have you. You know, the Boise's weren't necessarily in focus or the Nashville's or, or whatever, but we would have people migrate out of state. What we saw during the pandemic is I went from three to four people, you know, out of my 30 pod to probably six or seven. So it kind of doubled. And a lot of those people started migrating to Arizona and, and some of these red states, if you will. Now, this isn't a political channel by any means, but what are you hearing when, when people are moving to Phoenix from areas? And it's not just California. Maybe you can talk about who your buyers are. I know California is a big you know, push of your or a big portion of your buyers, but where else are they coming from? Why are they moving to Arizona? Like what does Arizona have that people are attracted to? <clears throat> Boy, that is a great question. Um, and we can kind of break that down into kind of a pandemic answer and just an overall answer, because I think they're, they're people were coming here for different reasons. Um, people, our primary in market for Arizona is California. The LA area has historically been our number one in market. So when we talk and people say, well, where are people coming from? Pre-pandemic, all that, it's, it's LA, predominantly California. Um, during the pandemic, we had people coming here from all through California, Oregon, Washington, the Illinois, um, even a lot of people, which, which was kind of sound interesting, but a lot of people from Colorado, a lot of people from Nevada. So just kind of converging kind of in the West, part of that was because we were such an affordable market, you know, even to all the, the Phoenix market is still the most affordable market in the entire West. You can look at Salt Lake City, Denver, San Diego, you just go up the coast, it doesn't matter. We are, we are more affordable than any of those places. So part of it was that affordability and part of it was because we stayed open, right? We only had a 30 day lockdown here. So the month, so May of 2020 um, was when we were locked down. They shut down my gym. You couldn't go to restaurants. The kids didn't go back to school. That was it. June 1st of 2020. And I know this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people listening. 
this economy and state opened up and it's this and it was the same as it was before and it is now we we got to go back to restaurants i think they started out at 25 percent, then 50 percent, and it just took off from there our kids went back to school in the fall of that year never never went back home so played sports did all that and i think people kind of were recognizing holy cow um I can now work from anywhere that I want to work from my kids. Uh, you know, we had so many people here from California. Their kids were great, really great athletes. We inherited some phenomenal California athletes in the last two years where those people said, Hey, we're bringing our kids to Arizona to play. We don't want to lose out on scholarships. And we know they're that good. Um, I, I think a lot of it had to do with that. A lot of it had to do with the, the portability of jobs that people could work anywhere. Um, and, uh, could work here. Um, and, and it wasn't just the Phoenix area. You know, a lot of people moved to Tucson. A lot of people moved to some of our fringe markets like a Prescott or a Flagstaff that has really great weather. You could come from Colorado and feel like, hey, I'm going to move to Flagstaff and I'm re really not giving up anything. I've got the four seasons. I got tons of snow. I can go skiing. I'm less than two hours from Phoenix and vice versa. People that live in those markets that said, hey, I want to live. Phoenix is an interesting place because Although we're the fifth largest metro or the fifth largest city, Phoenix proper is the fifth largest city in the country. It's a very rural kind of place, even downtown, where you've got these big houses with these big yards and people felt like I could move from a city to another city, but have this acre yard with all this grass and these mature trees. And I feel like I'm living in the country. So, uh, and oh, by the way, I don't like it. It's too hot. Hey, in the summertime, I'm going to go to Flagstaff. It's less than two hours away by car. So all that stuff was kind of going on, you know, during the pandemic. So, so with that said, so you had that during the pandemic, but now mm -hmm. it's a different market, right? John, everybody, the news headlines say the market's slowing, you know, demand is dropping off a cliff, whatever. Let's, but let's get down really like what's happening. Boots on the ground. You still yep. sell real estate. Yep. You have a team out there, buyers, working with buyers and sellers. Yep. So what does that slowdown mean at the moment for Phoenix? And maybe where do you see, you know, again, we're not asking, asking for any crazy predictions, but what are you seeing happening over the next couple of months with regards to this? Like, when is your strong market? Is it the spring prior to the the hot season in the summer that you guys get? Is it, are people buying now? Is that typically your market? And it always slows down because that's good for buyers to know is seasonality in, in some of these things and how to gauge some of the headlines that they're likely to read. Great, great question. And you're right. Our market tends to behave in an opposite pattern of most uh, places. Um, we historically and, and again, we're look, we're talking about two different things. Right. Historically, um, our season really starts in September. So September, October, November is when things start to really push. And I know a lot of people think, well, geez, the holidays are there. And what we are, we had our biggest month ever in our history of doing this for 21 years last uh, December, if you can imagine. Wow. Um, we start to get, we all, the, the, the kids start to get back to school. Um, everything starts to move. All the people that are winter visitors start to come. They like to buy and sell. And we just, we, we've always been a big investor market, right? We've had a lot of investors here. Investors start to get kicked back into gear. You get through the holidays and you start in January. And then it's from January to, to, to the end of May, beginning of June, like right now is 
on fire. I mean, it is a sprint. It is a, I mean, it is out of control. You've got the year starts out where you've got a lot of stuff going on with winter visitors here, the Fiesta Bowl, the Phoenix Open, you know, a Super Bowl every four or five years, um, Barrett Jackson, all these car auctions. Um, then as that thing just starts to calm down, then you got spring training, right? So that just pulls us all the way or pushes us all the way through until kids get out of school. Like our kids get out of school next week. We're done. Oh, wow. So we're, that's it. So we have a very short summer here right? With regard to school. So when most people are like, yeah, most people want to buy and sell during the summer, our summer's too short. The kids are out at the end of May. They go back the first part of August. So we have about a 65 day, 70 day period of summer. That's it. Guess what? I'm get my kids get out next Thursday. Literally we're picking them up from school and we're driving them. We do an annual trip to La Jolla. I'll be right in your backyard for a oh, week. Awesome. Right. Come back. You know, we, we, we go to Montana for to see Amy's folks and Yada, yada, yada. It's short. We have eight weeks of summer. We try to get out of here because it's short and because it's hot. Got it. Yeah. Come back. Literally in the beginning of August, you start to see it just start to go after Labor Day. It takes off. That's our seasonality, right? Summers are slower. The rest of the year, it, it's kind of moving and it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty active. Now, what do you think will happen this year? With the, so, with the, with the slowing effect. And, and I'm making, I'm, I'm dramatizing the whole idea of slowing just because- sure. What does that actually mean? What does that mean yeah. for the hottest market in the United States for the last two years? It's great. When I, I listened to you guys on your last podcast, you know, Josh said, hey, I don't really want to call it slowing. I know that's the word that you're using, but it's just like readjusting itself. And I thought that was a great way to kind of phrase it. You're right. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to readjust. We're trying to get back to what is normal, Right. Because um, we haven't had that in so, so long. Um, and, and we hadn't had that. This is when we knew things were really crazy is when in 2019, we didn't have any seasonality. We took off in January and we've never really stopped. Right. We're trying to get back to that seasonality. And it's nice because because the demand is pulling back. And partly because of mortgage rates, partly because of pricing. Um, but I'm hoping now a little bit of that seasonality too, where great, let's have a little bit of calm this summer. Let's get everybody kind of recalibrated. And hopefully when we kick back into the fall, that we're going to start to get back into our normal flow of what that seasonality is going to look like. Right. So Josh, a, lot, a yeah. lot of that is, is again, normalization. So instead of, the funny thing is, if you go back six months ago, everyone's freaking out. This market's way too hot. This is crazy. This is terrible. We're pricing people out. No one can afford. And it slows, which is what we need to get back to normal, to see normalization. And now people are freaking out. It's sort of like you can't you can't have an answer that makes people happy. And most of that is media stuff. If you're looking at media headlines, they can't be happy one way or the other. The market's too hot. It's terrible for everyone. The market's cooling. It's terrible for everyone. Yeah. The reality is normalization is what is good. We're going to a new normal. Um, you know, we look back, your market has been crazy. So from 2000 to 2005, it was really hot. A lot of building, a lot of investors, a lot of people moving out there. And then because of the overbuilding and the mortgage crisis, then we saw a big dip. And now for the last 10 years, you guys have seen a, a huge and nice run up. So it's kind of hard to say what normal is it's it's changed five times in the last 20 years but 
normal, you know, in your market, we, we like to talk here, if we get to six months supply of homes on the market, that's, you know, over the long-term average, if it's less than that, significantly less than that, it's a strong buyer's market. You get above that, it's a strong seller's market. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to get to that in any market. And that's why we want to have these conversations. Are you seeing anything any different in your market? We see, you know, the difference between a 3% interest rate and a 5.5% interest rate that takes uh, demand out of the market. Sure. Uh, we still have the same amount of people that would like to buy a home, but some of those people just are no longer able to qualify or no longer able to qualify for what they want. So obvious demand <laughs> destruction just by the loss of affordability, but for us here locally in California, we still see more buyers than there are homes to buy. Well, how does that re reflect in your market? It's the same. You know, the, the this building homes is not like making widgets. You can't just decide on a Friday by Monday we're going to open up a second <laughs> shift and or run this plant 24 hours a day and get caught up on inventory. You're exactly right. We're still in that scenario where. Um, there are more people moving here and there are still more buyers for every house that's listed. <clears throat> Jeb mentioned earlier, kind of before we, we got on air here about, I send a Cromford report out every couple of weeks and we have an individual here who's a PhD mathematician, not a realtor. Um, and he puts together daily, literally what almost stock market like detail of how the market is moving every single day. He bases everything off 100, 100 is a baseline. Anything above that is stronger. Anything below that is weaker, right? And so right now, every single submarket, we have 17 submarkets, 17 city submarkets in the, in the Maricopa County area. There isn't one that is below, I think one, I'm sorry, today, that was below 200. Wow. I think it's like 180. What 180 means, and our highest one is like 500, right? 180 or 500 means if this at the one that's cooling the most here trying to readjust there are still 1.8 buyers for every home listed that's the weakest submarket we have the other one at 500 means that for every home that listed there's five buyers for that so you can only sell it to one person and that's the other thing that people kind of don't realize hey i i hey john i listed the house and we had people through the door and when my neighbor sold they had 17 offers. We only got five. I'm like, we can only sell it to one. So, so <laughs> five, I, five's I, enough. Five's enough. It's more than enough. It's, it's still, we the price went above list, you know, all the same stuff that's still going on. So it, a, a, in its attempt to right size itself, we still have way more demand than we have supply. Now, let me qualify that. The supply is low. Our demand right now, is absolutely normal. If someone says to me, oh my gosh, there are so many buyers in the Phoenix area. It's just crazy. I can't compete against all these buyers. No, we are absolutely at a 100 baseline right now on our, on our number for, for demand. It's the supply is 70% below normal. That's where the chaos exists. It's not that we have too many buyers. It's just that we're still trying to figure out how to get this supply back online. Now, John, who are these buyers? Because if I, again, not in your market, I read the headlines or read, you know, watch somebody's, 
you know, TikTok or whatever. It's like you're competing against the Black Rocks. You're competing against the, you know, all of these conglomerates, if you will, that are looking to buy property up as as rental property. And, yep. and so, and then with that being said, you know, maybe that is a portion of it. Maybe it's the majority of it. But outside, if if those are even players in the game, is it first time home buyers? Is it majority of people that have owned real estate and taking that money and buying? property and that's how they're able to afford more than what your locals would think is a reasonable price or i mean if you, if if the locals owned a property you know and they bought it at say 250 but somebody that sold their house in california for a million bucks and made 500 grand and they come there and buy a $500,000 house to them they they just bought a, a nicer house for less money although they paid more for it than the the resident that's been there for years and that resident is somewhat getting priced out of the market to some extent. There's a lot of questions that I just threw at you, but let's maybe start with the the bigger funds, if you will. Is are those buyers? Is that real? Absolutely. You know, Arizona, you know, um, is a um, outside of oceanfront property. We have every kind of housing you can imagine, and we have it in such an amount that it's statistically significant, right? So all these guys can come in and play around in our market because they know they can make some mistakes. They could try it here and then go to other places. Um, but absolutely. Um, when this, um, we, we call them I buyers, right? They're institutional buyers or internet buyers uh, or investor buyers. Those are all under that I buyer umbrella, if you will. And when, the market, they were here prior to COVID, right? Um, and their buy boxes just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, where they would go and start out, hey, we're only going to buy stuff that's, you know, $250,000 or less single family residences. They're not really big into the condos or the townhomes. They like single family residences. That number has just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. So the latest buy box I got from a guy last week, he's like, hey, we're up to five fifty. So our median home price is 470. These buyers are buying above our median at 550. So if you're a buyer in our market and you're in that price point, 550 or below, you're going to be competing against an all cash I buyer and you're going to have to compete. Um, and that has taken out some of these first-time home buyers. Heck, even in our market, some of the move-up buyers that maybe were, were the first-time move-up, right? Where they're just like, you, you can't compete against them. You just you literally, you can't. The only way you can win out on, one of the ways you can win out is if the seller of the property says, I want to sell it to somebody that's going to live here. And I might not even take the highest amount that I have received in offers from an iBuyer. I want somebody to live here. Right. That, you can win sometimes in those instances, but other than that, man, they've taken this market from 250. Now we're up to 550, which again is a you know, uh, you know, seventy, eighty thousand dollars above what the median home price is. And those those i buyers in your market were not. I mean, Zillow backed out of the market, but a, a lot of these i buyers were open door. They they're going to buy, they're going to renovate, they're going to resell. You, most of your i buyers are out there are not reselling. They're going to take those off the market and keep them as rentals, or are they flipping also? Yeah, the flipping has, they haven't flipped in a long time, or they might do a, a handful. These are all being held as rental inventory. Um, you know, the other part too, that a lot of people don't realize, and again, Phoenix was one of these test markets for this. There are entire subdivisions of houses 
that are built to rent. The builder will come in, they will build an entire subdivision and none of those houses are for sale. They're all for rent. And once they're completed, then they end up selling those to, I mean, let's just call them iBuyers, right? They're going to sell them to a REIT or a hedge fund or some sort of an institutional investor that says, great, you know what? I, it, it, in some of these places, it was easier to build those than to build apartments. So that has been a massive, I just saw a, a, a headline last week that Taylor Morrison Homes, uh, which is a pretty big builder out here nationwide, they're uh, putting, I think, $870 million into that product nationwide. So you see that. This is another thing I try to impress upon people as well. These guys, men and women, are smart individuals. They would not continue to be investing in all these markets, not just Phoenix. You talk about a Phoenix or a Vegas or a Dallas or a Nashville or a Jacksonville. It doesn't matter. These guys are all over the place doing this. If they thought somehow that the U.S. market was you know, going to settle too much, crash, whatever it is, they would not be putting their money into this. They would be putting their money into something else. And if we are going to go into a recession, they know that hard assets hold their value. And not only are we seeing them slow down, we're seeing them increase, increase their value, increase their investment dollars. So, you know, in that part of the market, 550 and below here, man, it is game on for those guys. No, it's it's interesting, Jeb. The the we what do we see every week in the comment section on the live? There's a handful of people in there that are giving us half baked reasons why this market's going to crash, and they're going to sit on the sidelines and they're going to buy back in at fifty cents on the dollar. Yet the billionaires and the hedge funds are jumping in with both feet at prices. They're not. They're not. Go, like if you go back in time in, in 2010, when the institutional buyers stepped in, it was, hey, we have access to cheap cash and the, we believe these properties are discounted. But that time has passed. They're saying we believe these are so valuable that we'll pay a premium for them. So we have big money paying big premiums for something that we have. The, the guy sitting at home in his basement, plugging around on his computer, trying to find someone telling him, hey, this is going to crash. And we beat that to, to death on the show, the fundamental reasons why home values are not going to crash. But your, your point that the big institutional investors continue to put more money into it for very logical and rational reasons with expectations of making good money going forward. Yeah. Now, now, one thing you did mention, John, earlier is is you mentioned the Cromford report. So, in the in the one you sent me earlier, so for anybody that's listening to this, it's essentially a report that you know shows active listings, demand, kind of what's happening in the market. It's a recap, and I think you send it what about every two weeks or so. Every two I get weeks, it. Yeah. So, in that one, you mentioned again that the 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 less expensive price points, and for some people out there listening to this, are going to think it's crazy, but anything under 500,000 is kind of still moving, if you will. Yep. And then you mentioned the luxury end. So the, the higher price point is also yep. still a, a segment of the market. I'd like to hear about that segment and, and who those buyers are, but also like what's what's the in-between then? So if you've got the, the less expensive and the luxury moving, what's happening to those homes in in the middle of those two price points? Um, and, and what is that price point? Like, what are we talking about there as far as dollar goes? So it's interesting. I'm just pulling up the, the pulling up part of this report as you're talking. He has them uh, broken down into one, two, three, four, five different, six different segments, right? So, you know, um, under 500, five to six, six to eight, et cetera. Um, all of the price points, all of them have seen 
uh, in the last two months, inventory rise pretty significantly, right? Um, that's what's th where this, this adjustment is trying to take place, uh, except for the lower end. So that 500 and below is still um, not uh, uh, as, as affected as much because it is a price point where you can uh, first time home buyer, I buyer, uh, 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 investor buyer, just somebody that wants to buy something as a buy and hold for a single family residence. Um, even people downsizing, right? That that price point is going to be solid. The stuff that's three million and above, um, also very very strong. And that's a wow. that, you know a three million dollar house here is is quite a house compared to. I mean, I know I know in Southern California, you know that's a that's a, a not you know small yeah, house. You, you, but, might, you know, might only have one bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Right. No kidding. Um, so so uh, that's good. Everything in between is starting to see things really try to try to right size, if you will. But we're still under a month's supply of houses, uh, uh, you know, in, in those areas. So, um, I mean, we have buyers coming. I mean, I can tell you that I went I'm writing an offer, you know, after I get off this this call with uh, an investor that is buying his third vacation rental here. You know, it's a eight hundred and. $50,000 house, really nice. Um, uh, uh, you know, it'll probably, we'll have to go above ask, uh, but he's cash and we'll, you know, we'll be a competitive. We won't be in that iBuyer category. We're not going to be competing with those guys. We're going to be competing against people that probably want to live there. Um, and, you know, that's a really solid, you know, price point. You know, there, there's just not a lot of those houses out there that are really nice that um, you can buy. You know, a lot of stuff that's coming on the market now Really, there's two kind of houses on the market. The one that is really nice that's going to sell in any market, right? Really, really well done. And the one that's just kind of like, eh, you know, the bathrooms need to be redone or whatever. The landscaping isn't great. And, and you know, those are still selling. But we're going to get to a point here pretty quickly where those are just not going to get the premium pricing that a nice house will get. Before, it didn't matter what you put on the market. Everything was going. Now we're going to start to see there's going to be some winners and losers here. Um, as the market again is trying to adjust itself. No, getting back more more to the fundamentals. Yeah, so, who's yeah. buying the three million dollar homes? Are those people like the 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 wealthy leaving California for one reason or another and taking their money to uh, Arizona, or are those people in state move up buyers? Like who who's the three million? I'm just curious from no, you know my I, own sake. I think it's it's interesting. We just had we just sold a three million dollar house. Uh, to an in-state person here, um, you know, well-to-do. It was a cash purchase. Um, uh, we've listed their uh, their house as well. Uh, so, you know, they bought the the second one first. Uh, they didn't need the money from the, the the sale of the first one, but yeah, they just bought a three million dollar place. They just wanted to move. They were moving from a really really nice uh, condo, and they just wanted a single family home again. And um, you know, we're seeing a lot of those California people coming over. We're seeing. Um, Gosh, what else? Um, just about, you know, any place where a lot of people are keeping places in a California or an Oregon or a, um, a Washington, but coming down here and buying a luxury property and going back and forth between the two places, some of its family, some of its work. Um, you know, we're having people have a, a buyer from Oregon that bought last year, bought a really nice place at right at about a million, kind of testing the waters. Um, and now came back to me uh, this year and said, hey, 
we're going to, we're really going to move to Phoenix now. Like we, we, we didn't know how much we would like it or how much of an inconvenience it was going to be for work. But we've realized now after doing it for a year that we're going to move to Phoenix and they're bump, they're going from a million dollars to a three plus million dollar property. So it's uh, some of this stuff isn't just a one time thing. There are people here that are testing out the, the waters and then making multiple moves now to get where they really want to be and, and, and what they want to have. Now, I think that's interesting because, you know, you you hear people say, well, everybody's leaving California, the migration, the migration patterns, everybody's leaving California. Therefore, California house price, housing prices are going to decline because people are moving to Arizona. Well, they are moving to Arizona, but a lot of them, like you said, are keeping their residence in yes. California for one reason or another because yep. of appreciation, because of maybe having dual residences or what have you. So, no, yep. it's all interesting. Now, Josh, you answered, you asked a question before the show about uh, you know, jobs and, and what, you know, what supports the economy there locally outside of yep. people coming in with money, sure. stabilization, what's going to allow, you know, prices to continue at that base, even in a time that might have a recession when people are yep. getting potentially laid off, and, you know, and that one's, that one's not unique to Phoenix. You know, we have right. the same question for Boise. Yep. Boise's a little sure. city with not a lot of local industry and really high prices. Yep. Austin, same thing, a government city. Um, it's getting more and more businesses moving there. Right. And same thing with Phoenix. We see the mass exodus of companies yep. out of California and, and Arizona is a, a big target because it's easy. Yep. It's an easy move. They can get employees to move over there. So um, how, how do you see that? And then sort of the secondary question to that is, we sort of saw some of the problems in 2006, 2007 coming because in a, a fairly wide open area like Phoenix, you can keep building further out. We're built out for the most part here in Orange and LA County and in the Bay Area, so we don't have that. So how does the industry play into it um, in terms of jobs and income? And then how does the ability to continue building in your area with available land impact future pro prospects for home price appreciation? Great question. And something that is completely different today than it was literally 20 years ago. If you were a kid growing up in Phoenix and you're in civics class, you learned about the five C's of Arizona, right? Copper, cotton, cattle, climate, and citrus. Those are the five things that, that drove the Arizona economy basically in the, in the entire 20th century. Now, I mean, there was stuff that came on board at kind of towards the end that was a little bit more high tech or a little bit more uh, computer industry driven with the Honeywells and the Intels and insights and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, we were already in a new phase of transition out of those five C's kind of when the market tanked in, you know, after four five and six, um, which had nothing to do with the economy here, but just with all the lending and, you know, how we were all part of it back then and, and kind of had what had happened. But we had already laid this foundation of more of more of a California style economy. Those five C still exist, but in a very, very small capacity. Right. Yeah, obviously, climate people want to come here because the weather's great, you know, nine months out of the year. Um, you know, we still have uh, 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 the copper industry is really, really big, but the other stuff's kind of gone by the wayside. So now you have firmly established this high tech um, uh, revolution, evolution, if you will, that's happening here. So um, there's kind of a, the Maricopa County is a massive county, massive county. And 
to go from one side to the other, we kind of say now that we're kind of turning into an LA 2.0 because we are starting to become landlocked ourselves. And I'll answer that question in a second here. But um, we've now evolved into all these. We have a couple of e big EV companies here built like Nikola Motors. So they're building these self-driving electric hydrogen semi trucks. Lucid Motors uh, is delivering their have started to deliver their first cars. They've got a big plant down in Casa Grande. Um, Intel just announced they're doing a $7 billion uh, retrofit and expansion of their plant. Two miles from where I live, Taiwan Semiconductor just started to build a $35 billion plant. It's a city. You can't even believe what it looks like, right? So all of these things now, we've kind of evolved out of this five C's. Now we're moving into this high tech thing, right? Bill Gates bought... Uh, a huge piece of land west of the where all the population is uh, that he wants to start building the world's most advanced technological city. Um, it's going to run right by this Canamex highway is going in from basically from Mexico to Canada, I-11. It's going to run right through there. Oh, BNSF just bought 3,500 acres of land to put in an intermodal uh, a rail system there, right? They wanted to put it in LA. There wasn't enough land for it. Right. So they came here and bought it. Right. So these are things that, you know, if you read this as a, a lay person, you're like, oh, I guess that's OK. But some of these projects have some ancillary tentacles that are huge for employment, high wage jobs, growth. Um, uh, the, the railway, somebody said it earlier, and it's interesting. Um, uh, somebody here said the railway going in will be the single most, uh, the biggest single thing that ever happened in this county. And it seems quite benign at the moment, but Arizona never became LA, not just because of the seaports and stuff, but because we didn't have a way to get goods and services in and out of here by rail. We have a small rail system, but this one is going to take it to, you know, uh, a massive, massive new place where now, Hey, great. I even, I even heard that it, it's, it's more cost effective in some instances to unload at San Pedro, bring it to Phoenix, and then bring it back to LA. I don't know how that could be, <laughs> but but literally that is what this intermodal thing is going to do. It makes absolutely no sense to me, but this whole thing now is in motion. And so now everybody's like, hey, we're getting out of this 5C thing and we're going into this 21st century high tech, high movement, all these different uh, uh, industrial things going on here, which employment here is so much different than it was 10 years ago, definitely 20 years ago. The second part of that is, well, let me finish up this. People moving here, let's say they're coming from, coming from California, coming from Washington, coming from Oregon. They're keeping a place there. They're still cost-centered out of those places in many instances. We have people that are living here that we bought houses for that they're still working in LA. Like they're living here, but they're earning a California wage, but they're living here. Now they might have to, you know, that's a 50 minute flight. You want to fly from here to San Diego, here to LA, it's 50 minutes. They got to go back once or twice a month, spend two or three days, whatever. I've got friends of mine that have political lobbying jobs in Washington, DC that have done this back and forth for years. A 50 minute flight is like nothing, right? So all these people are moving here, cost centered out of all these other places, making more money than even a, 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 a an organic Phoenician might make. Um, and so the, the market and the economy is just absolutely blossoming with all this money. 
Um, the second part of your question about land. Land has been very, very available here. Arizona is an interesting place. Only 13% of land in Arizona is owned by people like me. 87% of the land in Arizona is owned by the Arizona Land Trust. We've kind of burned through in many places in this valley where private individuals have owned land. So pretty easy. Hey, Jeb Smith owns a piece of land. He has 100 acres over here. Let's get into a contract with him. Let's divide it up. Let's put some residential. Let's put some industrial. Let's put some commercial. Pretty easy to do. We're pretty much done with that now. You want to buy a parcel of land? You've got to lobby the state land department. You've got to do all of the due diligence on it. It then goes up for public auction. So after you've done all of that, you might lose it out, lose out to it by a higher bidder. Right. So it's, it's not, this is one of the reasons why we built as many homes in 2003 as we're going to build this year. And we have 2 million more people that live in the county. That right there tells you it's not as easy to find, structure, public report, and build today as it was then. So this whole land thing, it, there's truth to it. And some of that stuff is still on the fringes. But if you talk about this internal part of where Phoenix kind of really lies or Phoenix proper, some of these main cities, we're essentially landlocked now. There's no more. There's really not that much left to build knowing what this growth is going to look like over the next 20 years. You know, no, one, good, well, yeah, one of ahead, the Josh. things that you said was, was important, the, the Californification of your economy. And that's not, it's not all that different than a Boise or an Austin or many of these other areas where we've, we've used up the labor supply here. We've used up the land supply. So, and we have some, some politics here that are anti-business. And so a lot of businesses are going elsewhere and they're taking those good jobs. And some of those go to the locals there who are educated and can take those jobs. Some of them, the people from wherever those, those businesses are relocating follow into that space. So it's an interesting concept that I, I bet we will revisit it when we're talking to Boise experts in Austin experts and and even Nashville, um, those types of areas, because we're seeing similar stuff around the country as demand for everything grows, yeah. then there's demand to house those businesses that are supplying the demand. Yeah. No, good stuff. I mean, John, um, dude, really enlightening um, on the Phoenix market. I learned more Thank in you. that 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 40 minute <laughs> conversation than anything I've read. Uh, but I, I've I've added two C's to your five C's. You could add California there. That's helped the economy now. And you can add COVID. Um, so you now go. you can go with the seven C's across the board of, of what's uh, helped the economy. Uh, but for anybody out there listening, wants to get in touch with John, what I'm going to do is put his contact information in the description here. Um, and I think we could probably follow up with a, with a, a second series on this and kind of dive into some more of the detail of Phoenix and, and the future. Maybe we'll do that in the fourth quarter of this year just to kind of see what's going on. Um, but what we're going to do is we're also, like Josh hinted at, we're going to talk to some experts in other markets, right, to, to give you guys the information you want to you know, you hear. Um, and if you're in California, I mean, and listening to this, you know, this, this is the stuff that you need to know. Whether you're in California or another state, it's, it's not, you know, a lot of real estate is local, but what's happening in these areas is happening everywhere. 
Um, and it's just good information to keep, uh, to keep looking at. So we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the support. We will talk to you soon. Adios. Thanks for listening to the educated home buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at the educated slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.